In our last episode, we looked at a few cases of poisonings. The poisoners were all men. All were eventually caught, and all eventually punished for their crimes. They were, on the whole, desperate men, pushed to desperate acts by greed or viciousness. Today, we're going to finish our look at deaths by poison in Norfolk by looking at the outliers, the mad, the bizarre, and the plain bewildering. Sleepy villagers are turned upside down by murder and intrigue. And we hear about a patriarch who kept his family as close as the grave throughout his entire despicable life. My name is Richard Shepard, and this is Hallowed Histories. In the years 1835 to 1836, the case of the Burnham poisoners shocked the country. It was a sensational story with all the elements of high drama, murder, mayhem, alleged witchcraft, and adultery all taking place in the land of England's hero, Lord Horatio Nelson. Francis Billing, Catherine Frari, and Peter Taylor were all named as accessories or primaries to the murder by poisoning of their respective spouses. The trial was followed by much of the population, each of whom had their favorites and those that they wanted condemned. It was kind of like Love Island, but less gruesome. Although adulterous relationships were initially suspected as the reason behind the acts, it quickly became apparent that there was more to the story than first appeared. Newspaper reports suggest that the entire township of Burnham was described as being in a most dreadful state of excitement. The Norwich Mercury added that these infatuated and abandoned women, by which they meant Billings and Ferrari, were in the habit of consulting reputed witches in the expectation that these hags would, by their incantations, remove those who they afterwards took more effectual means to destroy. In other words, when witchcraft failed to remove their husbands, Billings and Ferrari took matters into their own hands. As the weeks progressed and the accusations increased, more strange truths came out. The Ferraris, the Taylors and the Billings were all neighbours for a start. Catherine Ferrari was reputed for having a string of lovers. It was also claimed that she was very friendly with Hannah Shorten, the purported Witch of Wells, who used arsenic in her love spells and incantations. Peter Taylor, who lived next to Francis Billing, was a shoemaker, but known for being lazy and for living off the toils of his wife. He was nonetheless considered to be sober and stable until he met his neighbour Francis Billing and started an adulterous relationship with her that nobody was happy about. Mary pleaded with her husband to end the relationship, whilst James Billing resorted to the use of his fists to try and break first his wife, and then his wife's lover down. When his convoluted triangle came out, and both Frari and Taylor succumbed to poisoning, Francis and Peter and Catherine were suspected. Billing confessed to the murder of Mary, but also said that Frari was one to administer the poison. She also admitted to attempting to poison her husband Jim, albeit unsuccessfully. The full tangled confessions of the Burnham poisoners were finally published in the Norwich Mercury, and the whole tangled mess was brought before the courts. Frari admitted to attempting to poison her husband Robert before she had even met Billings, and Billings admitted to mixing arsenic with Robert's pills, food and tea. Billings and Frari were executed to a crowd of over 20,000 at the summit of the bridge to Norwich Castle. Peter Taylor, the lazy shoemaker with the luck of the devil had slipped through the cracks during the fervour over the two women. He escaped custody and even had the chutzpah to attend the execution of the two women. And there, his luck ran out. 
When the crowd realized that Taylor was in attendance, they descended upon him in force. He managed to escape the mob and get back to Burnham, where he was eventually arrested, tried, and sentenced to death for his part as accessory to the murders, leaving behind three empty cottages in a row and enough gossip to keep the quiet village of Burnham going for years after. So from one quiet Norfolk village with murderous secrets to another. In a small village like Haysborough, which in the 1840s could only number 300 people, it seems astonishing something like multiple murders could happen. There are questions as to why no one noticed anything suspicious, and if so, why no one spoke up. As we saw in our last episode though, money and society played their part in this. Part of the problem lay with the complaints with regards to the cost of coroner's inquests in the event of suspicious deaths. And part of the problem also lay with beliefs regarding a husband's rights over their wives. The whole scandal eventually came to light in May of 1846 through an article published in the Times. The National Paper Record reported that the people of the small hamlet of Haysborough were in a state of high excitement after the exhumations of several corpses which were believed to be poison victims. The bodies were placed in tents at the back of the local parish church, like some Victorian CSI, and hundreds of people gathered around to look in on the investigations. The parish minister became quickly tired of the spectacle and subsequent uproar and urged for a quick resolution to the investigation. Within a few days, a jury was sworn in to hear the evidence associated with the case. At the trial, it was discovered that Anne Pessel's baby daughter, Elizabeth, and her father, Jonathan Balls, both died within a week of each other as a result of violent stomach ailments. Sadly, the deaths of small children were more common in the 1840s than now, and the child was buried quickly and without inquest. Jonathan Balls' surviving daughters testified that their father was a tyrant who had poisoned his grandchildren so his own children would have more time to take care of him. In turn, Jonathan Balls had poisoned all the members of his family for which he was required to care, including his mother, father, two of his sons and one of his daughters and a child, 12 of his remaining daughter's children, his wife, and finally himself. It was a tragic, strange case, and the true facts of Jonathan Balls' life and crimes are pretty much lost to us. However, there was plenty of tantalizing conjecture and gossip to earn Balls the place of one of the earliest serial killers on record. Sad, really seeing as he is the first poisoner we've looked at over the past few episodes who died peacefully in his bed at the age of 82. So far we've seen that all poisoners face the hangman. Some died in bed, most were never caught, and some went through the trials of a skewed legal system and got away with it. In 1813, James Maxey of Hainford poisoned his wife Dinah and stepdaughter Elizabeth Smith. Before dying, Dinah, when asked who she suspected of poisoner, replied, I will accuse nobody. However, later as her condition worsened, she went on to tell her sister, Oh, my dear sister, I am poisoned. I am dying. I am poisoned by something that was put in the tea kettle. When asked again who the culprit might be, she eventually replied, I think it might be my husband. Their stepdaughter Elizabeth died first, and upon her passing, James was said to have made a sad lamentation to think the girl was dead. According to the Norwich Chronicle, Dinah heard this lamenting and asked, James, why do you make that piece of work for when you know you did it to us? Although James claimed innocence, he also did not seem concerned enough to look for the culprit, which to many seemed suspicious. Upon a magistrate's investigation of the cottage, 
An envelope was found in a drawer containing a white substance, which turned out to be mercuric chloride. James Maxey claimed that he brought it to cure his horse's hoof, which had grown infected. And although Diana seemed somewhat convinced that her husband was responsible for killing her, the evidence remained circumstantial and Maxey was acquitted. At the end of the day, it was her word against her husband's. Mary Ann Langford and her husband Albert owned and operated an apothecary in King's Lynn. The business was quite successful until Albert became incapacitated after a long illness. Members of the community suggest that Mary was feeling low and worried that her family were falling into penury. And on April the 27th, 1869, Mary Ann's mother-in-law paid the family a visit and was told by Mary that both Albert and their infant son were ill. The doctor was called and based upon their symptoms, they were diagnosed with strychnine poisoning. When questioned, Anne stated, Doctor, I could bear it no longer. I have poisoned myself. She then went into convulsions like those experienced by her husband and child. Doctors managed to successfully pump her stomach, but it was too late for her family, and her victims died soon after. Upon further examination, a dress of Mary Ann's containing the poison in the pocket and a vial of strychnine were discovered. One newspaper commented, a more terrible tragedy in middle-class English life can scarcely be conceived. During the trial, Mary Ann Solicitor made a solid argument in her defense, claiming that all of the evidence, with the exception of her confession, was circumstantial. After all, an apothecarist would be expected to have some substances on them like strychnine or arsenic at some points. She was considered by most to have suffered enough, so she was subsequently acquitted and released. Between acquittal and execution there are other options though, as Charlotte Fisher found out in 1871. She was employed as a servant to Benjamin and Sarah Bernard, and on July the 5th she was working in the fields. She'd hung a piece of linen out to dry in a hedge, which was then damaged by a cow who had escaped from the pasture. Sounds like something from an H.G. Bates novel, but Charlotte Fisher was not the whimsical sort. She swore revenge on the cow and its owner, Benjamin Bernard, her employer. She stated, Do you think I'll put up with this? I will make Mr. Barnard pay for his stock getting out. So that evening, Charlotte prepared and laid out a meal for her employers, something that she did not usually do. Mrs. Barnard was surprised, but thankful for the help. The family perished not soon after eating the meal, and Charlotte Fisher was charged with murder. However, during her trial, the court showed mercy because of her being underage. And rather than being executed, she was remanded and given a sentence of penal servitude for a period of 10 years. By which time, she might even forgiven that poor wandering cow. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast through whichever podcast you use. And feel free to get in touch with us at hallowedhistories at gmail.com. This episode was printed by me, Richard Shepard, with research done by Dr. Linda Shepard and technical production by Stephen Parks. It was recorded at the UEA's Media Suite in Norwich, to whom we are indebted for their continued support, as we're equally indebted to the Norwich Heritage Centre. Thanks very much.